This Week at Hope Point. Sin is what is wrong with the world. Sin is what is wrong with me. The world needs saving from sin. I need saving from sin. And that's why God told Joseph, name him Jesus. He's going to save the world from sin. The greatest joy of God is saving people from their sin. To some people, the virgin birth of Jesus seems to be an irrelevant theological subject. Yet it's so important that the New Testament begins with this startling announcement. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. Every other religious leader prior to Jesus had been stained by sin that he inherited from his father. But when God the Father entered the womb of Mary through the Holy Spirit, a child was conceived who could finally save the whole world from sin. For that child was sinless, and that child was God. If you don't understand why the Bible is is written, how God uses it to accomplish His purposes, then you'll be confused as to why God places such important emphasis on specific teachings of the Bible, like the virgin birth, why He considers it so important. There was a strategic reason for putting the virgin birth at the beginning of the New Testament. But before we look at that purpose, I think I just need to, again, explain what I mean about you understanding why the Bible was written. Every word of the Bible is given to you in such a way as to persuade you to believe in something that you don't presently believe in, or you don't presently believe it enough. Everything that God says in this place is counter to what your flesh would normally find reasonable and what culture says is valuable. So God is always speaking in a counter-cultural way. And so he lays these truths on our mind, and then by the mystery and wonder of the Holy Spirit, almost like a lightning bolt striking a tree, these, flame, these, these words become aflame with life in our head, and they turn into love for God in our heart. So this is the way that God starts with us. Teaching is something new, and then the Holy Spirit creates belief and love in our hearts. So when you open the Gospel of Matthew, you're reading about the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, and it was a reality that every Jew in the first century needed to believe to be saved. Every person in the 21st century must believe to be saved. If you deny the virgin birth of Christ, you are denying the most important aspect of Jesus' identity. He was a man that was sinless, and he was a man that was was God. I find it very interesting that people would struggle to say, I can't believe in the virgin birth. These are the very same people who would say, I believe the entire universe came from nothing, and yet they can't believe in the virgin birth. I think it takes a lot more faith to believe the universe came from nothing than Jesus was born of a virgin. But this is why God directed Matthew to write the gospel as he did, because the Jews had completely missed these two aspects of Jesus' life, and this is why they killed him. When he said, I am God, 
That was his death sentence in their, their minds. I want to explain to you how the Jews missed the identity of Jesus Christ. For 2,000 years, even more, they were looking forward to what we call the Messiah. They were looking forward to a great man, a great ruler, a great leader, a king that was going to come and deliver them nationally from their enemies. They knew that he had to come from two very important families, the family of Abraham and the family of David. They didn't have a problem with any of that. But what they were not prepared for was when this man came, that he would claim to be not just a man, but God. That's what they hadn't anticipated in the Old Testament readings. They were looking for a great man. They were not looking for a king who would say that he was equal to God. And they were also, they could not conceive of the fact that if this man were God, which they said, no way would God ever become a man, it's impossible. But if God did become a man, there's no way that the end of this man's life would be death on a cross by crucifixion executed between two criminals. The Jews said God would not become a man and God would not die with criminals. And they missed Christ because of that. And they will always miss Christ because of that, as will anybody who does not believe in the identity of Christ, fully man and sinless man and fully God. And so this is why the telling of the virgin birth is so important to persuade Jews and to persuade 21st century people all over the world. But you can understand how people that were so confident in their religion that they would not need any help with their own sin. When Jesus came and told them that your best religious efforts cannot bring you into a right relationship with God, only a virgin-born Messiah could offer himself as a sinless sacrifice for our sinful hearts. When they heard that, they could not grasp that they, in all of their religious expertise, needed a Savior for their sin. They agreed that they needed to be delivered from Rome, from Roman soldiers, from the Roman government. But Jesus said, your greatest need is not to be delivered from the rule of corrupt politicians. Your greatest need is to be delivered from the corruption of sin that rules your heart. And that's what put him on a cross. The Messiah will one day come and deliver from political tyranny. But first, he wants to come and deliver from spiritual depravity. So having said all of that, let's travel back 2,000 years ago to hear the angel announce the virgin birth. Matthew 1:18. this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. I just love that sentence. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. The reason that the Bible, the reason the gospel writer Matthew uses the word divorce is because when a Jewish couple was engaged, they were considered to be married. This is how engagements um, worked in the first century world of Judaism. When you were a little boy or a little girl, your parents would choose who you were going to marry. And when you got to be a teenager, the mom and dad of the groom-to-be 
would bring a dowry, would bring a sum of money to the bride to help pay for all the wedding expenses that were going to come. But for the year, so at that moment, the engagement was official. But the number one rule of that engagement during that time is that the the young boy and the young girl, the teenage boy, teenage girl, could not see each other for one year. They would get ready for that wedding. So when Joseph found out she was pregnant, he knew he had not been with her in a year. So you can hear his frustration and the agony in his voice. Why did she let this happen? I love this girl so much. Why does this relationship have to be over? Surely I can't marry an unfaithful woman, can I? Have you ever felt trapped in a situation where both of the answers that were before you were wrong, you could not make a good choice? This is what Joseph felt. He couldn't marry a woman who was not honest with him in his mind. Nor did he want to put her to public disgrace by explaining to the community why he was breaking up with her because he loved her so much. What decision? Let me tell you something. When either decision before you seems wrong, normally that is God telling you to not make a decision and to wait, to wait in prayer until he does make it clear. So the last gift that Joseph thought in his wounded heart that he could give this girl that he loved was a quiet divorce. God had other plans. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The word consider comes from the Greek root word thumos. It is a word of great intensity, can often be used to express someone's desire to show anger. So this man is filled with angst, which could have bled over to anger. But he obviously didn't have all the facts, which is a great lesson for us in conflict resolution. Think of the total mess of things that Joseph could have made had he gotten angry with this girl when he didn't understand all that was going on. Gentleness is a better response when you don't know all of the facts. The angel's word to Joseph are among the most holy and profound words that have ever been spoken on earth. That's what the angel said. Mary is pregnant. And the Father is God. Made possible by the work of the Holy Spirit, bringing the seed of the substance of God into her womb. It is the beautiful mystery that God would biologically mix himself, the divine essence, with a woman's egg to form one who was fully human and fully God. And this is what Matthew was trying to tell all of his readers. Jesus is unlike all of the leaders 
that Matthew had just written about in the 42 generations and the 65 people that we looked at last week. He's like them in the sense that he's human. He's unlike them in the sense that he's more than human, which is evidenced by the virgin birth. The angel said, or Matthew tells us, that Jesus was God in human form. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means that God is with us inside this man. When the world was in crisis, God didn't send a high-ranking official to make a quick visit or an ambassador to make a quick speech. When the world was weeping, God himself came to wipe our tears. But I'm ahead of myself. Those are the words of Matthew to explain why his second name was Emmanuel. But the angel is what we really want to focus on today because the angel is the one that came and said his primary human name is to be Jesus. The angel said to Joseph, Mary will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now you can see why Jesus had to be different than all of the other 42 generations through 2,000 years of leaders that had come before them. If you look at that genealogical chart that we did last week, some of the leaders were good, some of the leaders were bad, but all of the leaders had something in common. They were all flawed. So it made no purpose, it would accomplish no good thing just to send one more leader just like them whose destinies would be ruined by the same thing that ruined theirs, sin. The next one on the list had to come and be sinless. Have you ever tried to paint a wall in your house and you just caught you on a lazy day and there was a glitch in that wall and you just said, I'm just going to cover it with paint and it'll go away. And it didn't work. You just paint over that glitch and that glitch just went still here. I'm going to do it again. Put more and more. You can put 10 rollers of paint over that glitch, but because you didn't fix that glitch, it's still there. That's what the genealogy of Christ was, ha was happening. 42 generations of people, but the problem of sin had never been taken out of the heart of any of those people, and therefore it was just passed on. And the only way it could not be passed on is if God interacted without the help of man and God himself touched the womb of of a virgin, the baby would be born without, without sin. As you can see, the angel told Joseph, make sure you name the boy Jesus. It's uh, pretty important here because, you know, this is like um, God choosing a name for his son. Uh, I just met a beautiful little girl uh, out in the lobby just born to our Hope Point family, and her parents named her Lottie uh, after the great uh, Southern Baptist missionary who gave her life uh, in China, Lottie Moon. So it is important the names that we check and, and, or, or we choose for our children. But in Jewish culture, choosing a name was huge. 
Because when you chose the name for your child, the name normally reflected what you believed was going to be the destiny of that child, the calling of that child, or the character of that child. And so God's choice for Jesus is Savior. That's what Jesus means in Greek, salvation or Savior, because he's come to save people from their Sins. God wanted to make a statement in the naming of his son. My son will only have one passion in life. To save people from their sins. And therefore name him Jesus. Jesus is the only man that's ever born in history with such an immense and intense calling. Intense because he was going to solve the one thing that has wrecked the world, sin. Immense because billions of people were going to enter heaven when Jesus removed sin out of their heart. Unlike any other man, Jesus Christ was born for the purpose of solving the world's greatest problem, sin. If sin were not here, we would not have anger, hatred, violence, and war. If sin were not here, we would not have loneliness, despair, rejection, and suicide. If sin were not here, we would not have abused, aborted, and abandoned children. If sin were not here, we would not have drunk drivers, drug dealers, prostitutes, and pornography. If sin were not here, we would not have people who lie, businesses that cheat, and thieves that steal. If sin were not here, we would not have broken lives, broken families, and broken hearts. Sin is what is wrong with the world Sin is what is wrong with me. The world needs saving from sin. I need saving from sin. And that's why God told Joseph, name him Jesus. He's going to save the world from sin. The greatest joy of God is saving people. From their sin. It's interesting when you look at the Greek name Jesus, it, um, the Jews were living in a Greek-speaking world now, so they had to speak Greek, and the Greek name uh, for Savior is Jesus, but these Jews had grown up speaking Hebrew, and the Hebrew name for Jesus is Joshua, Yeshua. So when a Jewish family would name their son Jesus, they're really thinking Joshua. They're one and the same. Both of them mean salvation. And interestingly enough, there are two people in the Old Testament named Joshua, Yeshua, that are pointers to the true Joshua, Jesus. One of them is a military leader, and one of them is a high priest, I want to talk first about the military leader, Joshua. He was a man who hung around Moses, the leader of Israel for 40 years while Israel got through the wilderness. And at the end of Moses' life, he appointed Joshua to take over and lead the people on into the promised land. But before he did that, he said, I'm going to change your name. Numbers 13, Moses gave Hosea the name Joshua. I don't think he asked him. I think he just did it. Hosea was a, was a good name in itself. It means salvation. So nothing wrong with that name. But 
Joshua, Yeshua, means God is doing the saving. Moses wanted Joshua to know that as you take the nation of Israel into the next seven years of military battles, I want you to understand, Joshua, every single battle you face, you're going to be outmatched, but God is going to save you. So God is going to be your salvation. Joshua heard that loud and clear, and his first test came about when Moses sent a group of 12 men on a reconnaissance mission to the new land and what would be the first battle that they would fight and to prepare for what was the best way to enter that land. He sent 12 out. 10 of them came back, and they were just little baby children, and started whining and said, we cannot win this war. We're going to get slaughtered. And Joshua said, oh, no. God's with us. He does the saving. Numbers 14, Joshua said, do not be afraid of the people. We will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is is with us. So over the next seven years, Joshua would lead the nation of Israel into the promised land, 13 major military conflicts, defeating 31 kings. He never retreated, never wavered. He led the nation until the mission was complete. No Old Testament leader like him. We see no flaw in his life. So devoted to God. Near the end of his life, he gathered the nation and issued this reminder and challenge. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you because the Lord your God fights for you. So be careful to make sure you love the Lord. So by leading the people into the land... Joshua is a pointer, a foreshadowing of the New Testament Joshua who would lead us into heaven. Because the one thing that Joshua could not do was to really bring these people into the presence of God. He could not bring them into a spiritual relationship with God where they experienced rest and contentment and peace. He could bring them into the land, but he couldn't bring them to God. The writer of Hebrews in the New Testament picks up on this and says, For if Joshua, as Old Testament warrior, had given them rest. See, they got to the new land, but they didn't rest. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day of rest to come. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. That means there was going to be a rest after they entered the land because they didn't do it. And I think you can relate to that. Have you ever said in your mind, if I can just have this, get to this point, woo! I mean, a lot of people think about retirement like that. If I could just retire, be happy. If I could just get married, gonna be happy. If I could just get this job, I'm gonna be happy. If I could just buy this car, I'm gonna be happy. If I could just get my child graduated from college, I'm gonna be happy. And then they get there and they experience complete disillusionment because they had been putting, their, they had been putting all their confidence in getting somewhere, not getting to a person, not getting to God. But that's what happened to Israel. 
They got into the land, but they messed their life up so bad when they were in that land, quickly departing from God because they didn't know him. So there had to be a future of Joshua that was going to give them rest in their hearts. And Jesus Christ said, I am that Joshua. He said it in, in, in the verse that Dan preached on two weeks ago. Jesus said, Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me, all you who are burdened, weary and burdened, and I will give you, there's that Hebrews 4, 12 promise, rest. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and, and you will find rest for your souls. Rest was not a word that the first Joshua was familiar with at all. There was nothing gentle about the first Joshua. He was a warrior. He was a killing machine. His assignment was to destroy the wicked people of Canaan. Take the land, leave no survivors. His sword was frequently covered with the blood of his enemies. Joshua number one. In contrast to this, Jesus, the second Joshua, was meek and humble. He defeats his enemies by turning them into friends. Rather than slaughtering their bodies, he changes their hearts. Though he had the power, more power in one finger than all of Joshua's army, he did not advance his kingdom through violence, but through love. The only blood that was ever shed was his own. The Old Testament leader Joshua was a great man, but Jesus Christ was greater than 10,000 Joshua's. His will was made of iron. Nothing was going to stop him from obeying God in every decision of his life. He never delayed obedience. No matter what threat came against him, he did not bow to fear. He did not bow to the fear of man, to the fear of demons, even to the fear of death. The most courageous thing that God ever calls a man to do is to die. Very early in Jesus' life, he knew that he was born to die. How, how early did he figure that out? You know, probably prior to him being a teenager, surely as a teenager. But we would imagine that as a young boy, Jesus knew and lived with that weight all of his life. My purpose on this earth is to die. And that's why the angel said, name him Jesus. Because his purpose is to die for the sins of the world. That was his only mission. To save people from their sins by giving up his life. And he faced that calling with courage. You know, we never get tired every September of watching all of the reminders of what happened here in the States in New York City, on, in lower Manhattan on 9-11. Because we always marvel that when people were running out of the Twin Towers, firemen were running into them. Every time we see some sort of crime being committed on television and bullets are firing, flying, people are running from danger. Policemen are running into danger. That was Jesus Christ. He allowed nothing to take his eyes off the cross. The devil tempted him to become a traveling miracle worker. The crowds told him he should run for political office. 
And Peter said, the one thing that you must never do is die. Yet look what the Bible says was the attitude of Christ. Luke 9, 51, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely, cannot get a stronger word in the New Testament than that, set out for Jerusalem. He was determined to die on a cross for sin. Jesus was like the Old Testament warrior Joshua in his devotion to God. But how they were different was this. When Jesus went to the battlefield, he laid down his sword and allowed the men that were fighting against him to pick it up and to plunge it into his own side. The blood that was shed was not theirs, but was his. So that was Joshua number one, the military leader, and how Jesus is a better Joshua than that, a better Savior. There was another Joshua in the Old Testament many years after the first. He wasn't a military guy. He was a religious guy. He was a priest. A little background, here's what happened. Jerusalem had been destroyed by the Babylonian army. People were carried into exile 900 miles away. They lived there 70 years but they eventually got to come home. The Jews returned to their destroyed city and they were led by a, a preacher named Zechariah. And one day, and, and it's interesting how Zechariah preached. I, I sort of wish this would be me. It seems like it would be less work. All of his sermons came by way of dreams. I think that would be just great. Get to play all week, have a dream. That's my sermon. So dream number three, vision number three, Zechariah sees this high priest, Joshua. This is how the vision went. This dream came by way of an angel. So the angel showed me, this is Zechariah talking, the angel showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put rich garments on you. The job of a priest was to represent the people to God. Well, the people were just wadded up with sin. So in this vision, the high priest had absorbed all of the sin of the nation of Israel into his body, onto his clothes, and he was filthy because of their sin. But remember, it's just a vision. He couldn't do this because he was just a man, and he was a sinful man, and therefore he would have to be carrying his own sin as well. All he could do was to be a pointer a foreshadowing of the second Joshua, which we're told about as the vision continues. Listen, O high priest, Joshua, and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come. I am going to bring my servant the branch, a reference to Jesus, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. Now, when did that happen? Well, that's a place called Calvary. In a single day, six hours on a cross, 
Jesus Christ stood there as the true Joshua, the true high priest, and all of the sin of the world was dumped on Christ and taken from you. If you're a saved person, you understand that's how it happened. Your sin was taken from you and placed on Christ, and you got new clothes. You got Christ's righteousness as a result. What a magnificent promise. In a single day, our sin was taken care of. And that's why the angel told Joseph, make sure you name him Jesus. Because that's what he's going to do. He's going to come take people, their sins away. You know, in every generation, the name of Jesus Christ still has great meaning. No matter where it's spoken, it's recognizable. I've traveled the world with Ronnie, and it always comes out the same way, nearly, Jesus. Every time his name is spoken, something happens in the heart of man. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed over somebody that they're, they were very ill or they had experienced unbelievable loss, and the only thing I knew to say over and over again was Jesus. I had no words to pray. It's just Jesus, 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 Jesus. To those who have tasted his salvation, his name is sweeter than honey. To those who have seen love in his eyes, he is more beautiful than a sunset. And to those who have heard his promise of forgiveness, his name is more refreshing than the ocean surf. The name of no other religious leader produces the type of reaction as does the name Jesus. Even his enemies are powerfully affected by his name, but despite their best efforts, the name of Jesus cannot be ignored, erased, or forgotten. You could take the name of Jesus out of schools, but you cannot take the name of Jesus off of the lips of children. You can take the name of Jesus out of public buildings, but you cannot take the name of Jesus out of the public. The New Testament is not a very large book, yet it mentions the name of Jesus 900 times. 900 times it is God's way of saying, I love you. 900 times it's God's way of saying, I want to save you. It's 900 times God saying, I forgive you. So what do you say about the name of Jesus? That's what the New Testament says. What do you say about the name of Jesus? Herod said Jesus was a political threat. The Pharisees said Jesus was a religious imposter, but the angel said he's the savior of the sin of the world. So if you want to be accepted into heaven, you have to agree with what heaven says about Jesus. If you want to have peace with God, you must agree with what God says about Jesus. If you want to have rest in your heart and contentment, you must agree with what Jesus says about himself. Some of you might say, but pastor, you don't know my sin. This is my first time in church in 20 years. I don't know if Jesus has enough power to deal with my sin. Let me tell you how powerful the name of Jesus is. On the night before Jesus was crucified, he was praying for you 
for me in a garden called Gethsemane. It was dark, obviously no streetlights. Roman soldiers came to arrest him because the next day they would crucify him. He knew that. So when he saw the Roman soldiers coming with their torches, and they couldn't even identify him because of the other crowd of people in the garden. Jesus left the place that he was praying, praying and walked straight up to them. And this is the question he asked the men who were coming to take his life. Who do you want? No fear. The dialogue is interesting after this. Well, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he. And when Jesus said that, I am he, they drew to the ground. They fell down. The green beret of the Roman army on their knees because of the name of Jesus. Amazing. And yet that is just a foretaste of the power of his name. Because the Bible says this is how it will be at the end of history. Because he came first to give his life for sinners. God gave him something in return in regard to his name. Philippians 2.8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and even under the earth. And every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Don't worry about the power of Jesus the power of his name to forgive your sin. Whatever sin you bring to him, his name is powerful enough to forgive you because as the angel said, name him Jesus. He has come to save his people from their sin. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.